action. Welcome to Taunt Stubbs, the Trash Movie Podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We Need to Talk About Kevin is a 2011 drama directed by Lynn Ramsey. Ava Kachadurian, played by Tilda Swinton, is kind of a living ghost, drifting from her empty home, the exterior of which has been assaulted with blood red paint, to her new job at a dingy travel agency, she has the shell-shocked look of a prisoner of war. Through numerous time jumps, we glimpse her life as a rebellious, vital youth, to her relationship with husband-to-be Franklin, played by John C. Riley, and finally her troubled relationship with her son Kevin, played as a teenager by Ezra Miller, who may or may not be at the root of her malaise. But what did Kevin do, and why is nobody talking about him? Had you seen this before, Rob? It's ironic that no one's talking about it, considering it's called We Need to Talk About Kevin. <laughs> yes, I had seen it before. I saw it when it first came out. Okay. And I remember, as the credits rolled, me and my friend Craig looked at each other, and we both said, if we didn't want kids before then, we definitely don't want them now. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bleak look at, at, at being a parent. Yeah, the, um, the author of the books is based on a book by an author called Li- uh, Lionel Shriver. She said that when she decided to write the book, she had kind of stumbled on the last taboo in society, which is what if a mother doesn't like her son? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you can see how that is the seed of this film because um, it's a film that is very kind of questioning. It's, it's looking at these relationships and trying to figure out why they are how they are, why the people in the film are the way they are. It doesn't give any easy answers, but it does It does look at this relationship between Ava and her son and, you know, the, how, how each of their behavior results in this horrific tragedy, essentially. It's kind of chicken and egg. You don't know what came first. No, you can't know. No. And, you know, I'm sure child behavioral psychologists could talk about this a lot. Um, sadly, neither of us is one of those. But I know that the director, Lynn Ramsey, she did speak to a child psychologist when she was making this film. Um, I think I guess she wanted to kind of figure out what was really going on with Kevin. And, you know, he essentially, she says that the, the child psychologist that she spoke to, you know, basically this Kevin is showing signs of um, being a sociopath. Yeah. He's just somebody who can't empathize with anybody. Um, but he's also manipulative. Yeah. And strangely intelligent about it for such a young child. Well, I know. I did think about that because you do think, you know, how calculating actually can a four-year-old be? Because at one point, you know, for for the longest time, he's an absolute little cunt nugget to Tilda Mm. Swinton. Yeah. And after their second child is born, and he's probably about six or seven, maybe... Maybe a bit younger. Mm. But he then starts being nice to her because he feels threatened by the new kid and being an asshole to John C. Riley's character, who he had previously been super sweet and childlike to. Because he, yeah. you know, he's, he's being read a book by Tilda Swinton and John C. Riley comes in 
And he's like, hey, champ. And the kid's just like, I'm tired. Go away. Yeah. When previously it would have been the flip. He would have been an asshole to Tilda Swinton. Is the kid doing this because he knows he's doing this? Is he being manipulative in this way because he's made a decision to do this? Or is it just subconscious and this is just his natural way of being? Well, the only... The only scene that he actually does that in where he's he needs the mother and he rejects the father. The only scene he does that in is when he's unwell, he's sick, he's got the flu or he's got a cold or something. And um, apparently this is like a really common thing with people who suffer from um, Asperger's is that they um, they suddenly, for whatever reason, they show some they seem much more. um you know, interested in the pet, one of the parents, or they seem more like they want to be comforted and held and touched and looked after. Um, and it presents this illusion that they are suddenly connecting better with yeah. different people, but actually it is an illusion. And when they start to feel better about themselves, they just revert back to how they were before. So Kevin so, was, as, has Asperger's. You could, I mean, it's never said explicitly, but you could read yeah. perhaps Asperger's into some of his behavior, I think. Yeah, because then... Um, the way he behaves with his dad then is the opposite of how he has been, which is actually, that's the most manipulative he is, which is, you know, um, kind of tricking his dad into believing that he's this like nice, happy kid when actually he hates everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, his mum has kind of through her behavior made it quite clear that she didn't particularly care if he was around or not. And so he, in, in return doesn't care if they're around or not either. But she says at one point, I was happy before you came along. Yeah, which is a horrific thing to say to a three-year-old. Yeah. Just because he won't play with her. She's trying to force him to play and he won't because he can sense that it's so artificial and she's not really interested. But can he sense that? Well, you don't know, do you? Because, you know, the film is told through her perspective completely. Oh, completely, yeah. So everything that happens is is filtered through her view of it. So when he scrawls all over her beautiful room that she's created for herself that is very much kind of representative of... It's covered in maps and it represents what she can no longer do because yeah. she was clearly kind of a bit of a nomad and she would love travelling. As her, um, no, her world suddenly that got is, very small. That is literally and, her world, yeah. Her world became this room decorated with the world yeah and he ruins it he throws paint all around it Mm. and you there's that shot of him looking really quite malicious on the desk covered in paint yeah and um i think that's when you start to realize that it's this isn't necessarily exactly how he is behaving this is just her view of it because i never i never read into it like that i just i just read it as i know she is for all intents and purposes the lead character yeah. And for all intents and purposes, Kevin's actually a supporting character. This is her story. And mm. Kevin is just the antagonist in yeah. that story. But I never I never read into it that maybe we were seeing things in a disjointed way because we're not shown or hinted at another point of view, which is usually the way that films would go. Yeah, but because it's so completely in her head, turns her into kind of a little bit of an unreliable narrator so yeah in the same in the same way that the girl on the train um makes you doubt the lead i think it's rachel you start to doubt her view of 
or her version of events because she's an alcoholic. Yes, she's a fucking um, drunk. Yeah, and and also a little bit with Gone Girl um, because you discover that the narrator has been lying to you the whole time. She's not actually dead. But that's the big twist, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. the big twist. But, but so that's very obvious, that one. Yeah. This, if, if it is a case that it's an unreliable witness uh, narrative and, you know, things are not as they seem, it is so, so subtle that it's almost not there. Yeah, well, Lynn Ramsey, I, I read lots of interviews about her, with her, about this film, because, um, like, when I first watched this film, I, I think it's one of the first films I gave five stars, actually. Oh, really? But just because I find it fascinating, and it's not like anything else out there, really. No, it's really hypnotic. In a weird way, it's a very calm, evenly paced movie, so it's constantly like these waves, just constantly lapping mm. over each other, it just so happens that the waves are filled with blood. either tomato, juice, paint, actual blood. Yeah. All this red, just constant, like red liquid, just lapping casually over each other. Mm. It's such an interesting visual film because um, all of the, you know, the colours on the bullseye, mm. red, blue and yellow, they are repeated colours throughout the entire film. I was noting all the red. But I interrupted yeah. you. What were you saying? Like Lindsay Ramsey in, in but her she, interview? Yeah. So in her interview, so she was talking about people's reactions to the film. And she said, um, it's not a realist film, which is so true. It's so obvious. Like she yeah. said, this is her, in her quote, she said, that's where people seem to be getting their knickers in a twist. It's a what <laughs> if film. <laughs> She also is Scottish. I'm not going to do her accent. Um, such, it is a very British thing to say. She it? says, if you're, a, a twist. Yeah. you're a knickers and a twist. Um, if you're a mother, it's a bloody big what if, she says. What if I don't love my child? What if he picks up on that and it turns back on me? Yeah. It's a taboo subject. And for that reason, very disturbing in the question it asks, which is so true. But um, yeah, she explores it in such an interesting visual way. It's so, f- it's so, you can see she she cleverly tries to find a way to show how certain things might inform other events. So, you know, you start off with... Immediately, you have three different time frames. Yeah. Immediately. And the only way you can really tell is through Tilda Swinton's beautiful hair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I just love that kind of... That just kind of filmmaking where it's not straightforward. No, it's really avant-garde. Yeah, it it's is. It's really experimental. Yeah. Yeah. It's really abstract at times. And it's Like not... her her... Her memories of being young with John C. Riley and meeting at the the, the tomato, the tomato throwing thing. Yeah, it's really hazy and really abstract. It's so far so far gone. It's so long ago that it is super duper hazy. She couldn't possibly go back there. Yeah, her life has completely changed. It's so warm and 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 colourful without being tacky. Those memories and oh, yeah. now her current life is just shit browns and stinking mag- magnolia in that horrible house that is just kind of a bit like a cell like almost like in, in an asylum yeah it's just white and echoey and no personality they haven't turned it into their home in any way no it's um, just her on their own nothing in the fridge shit sofa to sleep on oh i meant that i meant the family home the family home yeah i thought the family home was quite i mean it's minimalist it's, it's minimalist but... but i felt it was quite warm in the t- in, in in the in the tones they were using, hmm. sort of, you know, smart looking wood with the, you know, you still see the grain in it. Hmm. I didn't think I didn't see that, and then, you know, a big lush garden. I didn't think that that was any. I didn't think it was cold. Yeah. I thought the little house that she ended up living in was like a <laughs> barn, yeah. really stark. 
And how bizarre as well that she made a bedroom for Kevin in her house. Well, that was that was going to be one of my questions. Why? Why yeah. did she make a, a bedroom? I, I understood why she was visiting him because she wanted that question answered at least. Mm. And maybe she felt guilty, as I guess a mother would, if your son had done this. I watched a TED Talk with one of the mothers of the Columbine shooting. Oh, wow. And she said, I have to live with the fact that I failed as a mother. Mm. Because as a mother, it's my job to make sure that my kids are safe and are good members of society. And yet, my son did this and he did it under my watch and my nose. I knew nothing. But I have failed. I'm not guilty of the crime that he's committed in a legal sense, but I have failed. And that's how Tilda Swinton's character is existing. She... She says t- twice in the film, she says, it was my fault. Yeah. And she says it when she's assaulted in the street by one of the mothers from the school. Yes. And a guy comes over and tries to help her. And she says, no, it was my fault. It was my fault. And then she says it again. Um, chronologically, it is actually when she breaks Kevin's arm as a kid. But yeah. in the film, it's much later on. But that's the second time she says, it was my fault. And it's funny how she says it with two different contexts and the time that she broke Kevin's arm that was her fault she did do that she threw lost him across the room she lost control of her temper I would lose my control if, if I just <laughs> changed that kid was too old for nappies anyway yeah. diapers he was too old for it I would fucking throw him across the room but then she <laughs> but says I'm it not again. a mother well, I know, yeah. <laughs> we pray every day that you never shall become one well, I never grow a womb and give birth to a child it could happen but but she's almost like taking direct responsibility and, and it's almost like she thinks that that moment where she broke his arm is what has turned him into this killer. And she accepts full responsibility for his behaviour as, as his mother. Is that what you read into it? That's what, I, that's what it seems to me. Yeah, she's that's taking... That's the turning point And she's him. torturing herself. She, she accepts her punishment on a daily, on a daily basis. She goes to the, the supermarket and that woman smashes up her eggs. And she just... And she takes them and she cooks them and she eats the the shell. Picking shells out of her mouth like Kevin is picking nails out of his mouth. She's accepting her punishment. She she believes that she is responsible for this behaviour. Which actually, I mean, you could argue she maybe, you know, she didn't kill. What is guilty? You you feel it is her fault? She didn't kill anybody, but she did, you know, she raised a child who, who did. So it's kind of like, yeah, where does the line of responsibility start and end i mean there is no answer i don't yeah. really know but you can see why she feels completely guilty but is she to blame she didn't set him up to be a murderer she didn't no. put this in his head by saying you need to go murder these people with the most elaborate way possible no but the film does suggest that everything he does is for her for her or because of her because I don't, I, I don't read that he's looking for validation from her. Oh, he's not looking for validation at all. So then what do you mean by saying... He's looking, for for her her? Atten- he's looking for her attention. But he had her attention. That's the thing. No, He drove not, her away. Not the right kind. And also... What attention would he want? I don't really know, but I feel like he wants her attention because he wants to feel like he matters. And he... Do you think that's why when he was being driven away in the police car, he turned around to look at her? Yeah, because he's done it all for her. And do you think he got the reaction he wanted? Absolutely. There's a line but that they cut. I don't, but I don't think his face says that. He doesn't look happy. 
he doesn't look sad, but he just maybe there's slight disappointment there. Maybe. What line did they cut? They cut a line from the end of the film when she she asks him, um, which is actually something I wondered, but I'm actually glad the film didn't address it. Um, clearly, he kills his classmates and then he kills his father and his sister. Yeah. But he doesn't kill his mother. And the original script, she she asks him, "Why didn't you kill me?" And he simply says to her, "Because you don't kill your audience." Now, yeah, that's two. Which on the is nose. two on the nose. It's, but he said he says. I can't... She says, why did you do it? And he says, like, I can't remember. What did he say? He says, I'm looking at you now and I don't really know why anymore. Yes. And then I feel she walks away and I feel she's got closure. I feel that... Because she gives him this hug and we've never seen... Mm. We've never seen them hug before and he doesn't hug her. She just grabs him and puts her hand on the back of his head. I feel that's her saying, I'm done now, goodbye. I've got my closure. Mm. And then she walks away and she walks into this bright divine light. Mm. So I feel that she's had her release. I don't know because maybe, but um, it also echoes the scene when he's unwell as a child and she's suddenly seeing him as vulnerable again for the first time, perhaps in a long time. You know, in that, in that scene at the end, he's incredibly vulnerable because he's going off to grown up prison. Yeah. He's not in juvie anymore. Mm-hmm. He's terrified and he's really terrified probably for the first time in his life. And he's massively vulnerable again. And so she responds to that, like the way that she did when he was sick as a kid. I mean, the way I read into it is that that hug is not, it's not a motherly hug. It's more almost like a, this is it, goodbye. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I need to move on with my life. I've got the answer that I've been looking for, mm. or I've got the closure that I need because my life is shit out there. Yeah. I'm also in a prison. Do you think she's thinking about having another child? Is that why she's making another bedroom? Do you think she wants No, to... because it was decorated with his, his stuff. stuff. Yeah, it had his grey bed sheet and grey bedspread. And there were some other items in there of his. It, it, it was almost like a mini replica of the broom he had before. Yeah, even the painting on the wall. Yeah. So I don't know if, that, if that's a case of... She's she's trying to be the mother that maybe she knew she should have been. Mm. Do you find the film's ambiguity interesting or irritating? I loved it. It 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 completely kept me hooked in. Yeah, completely kept me hooked in. I think if they revealed because they they it's it's like a it's like a leaky tap. It's just dripping information to you, and not even the full drip. It's like half a drip, and then they pick up later on they they fill you in later on it, mm. it's it's engrossing yeah and because like i said it's this kind of overlapping waves of blood and red paint and tomato juice and this that and the other it's it's quite intoxicating this film it's a nightmare she's living a nightmare yeah from the start from the very start of the film when it's um when it's kind of cutting between the different time frames and it's it's kind of different colors and stuff and then it becomes you know a nightmare in her head when she's driving home with the Halloween kids all around yeah. kind of looming at her from <laughs> the side of the car. And, and they're pulling focus. Yeah. But can you, that, I think it's so effective when, when you see that he's got the, um, the bike locks and she sees them in the house yeah. and then she runs to the school and she's terrified for her son. And then she sees the bike lock and it all clicks together. Can you imagine that utter sense of, 
Oh, you know, terror. Well, it would be a, a terror and also a failure. Yeah. She was obviously... My son. I mean, you know, that she was at work and her colleague said, doesn't Kevin go to whatever school yeah. it was called? So clearly she's worried for the kid, for Kevin. She's rushing there because she thinks something's happened to him. She's not rushing because she thinks Kevin's done something. And that's the alarm bell for her. Yeah. She recognises the locks, mm. the bike locks or whatever they are. Mm. She's brilliant in this film. Tilda Swinton. Yeah. She, she um, I think she produced it or she, she got in touch at the very start of the production. And she was kind of, she really wanted the role. And then, uh, yeah, Lynn Ramsey kind of said, mm, I don't think you're really right for this role. But I can't imagine anyone else in this role. I think she, th- I think maybe she was picturing someone a bit more traditionally kind of, I don't know, mumsy or, because um, Tilda Swinton's a very specific character, isn't she? She's but not you, warm. She's yeah, always... but you don't want the warmth. No, the no. whole point is that there is no warmth and that's yeah. what Kevin's reacting to, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I felt that actually at times there was more warmth in Tilda Swinton's portrayal here than we've ever seen. Because she mm. plays cold, hard, bitch. That's like, she's got monopoly on that. That's, that's her brand. Yeah. She is brilliant at that. In the beach, she was terrifying. She's perfect as the ice, literally the ice <laughs> queen in Narnia. Yeah. Even in A Bigger Splash, which I think came out the year before this. Yeah. Yeah. It came out after that. She's still, maybe it's after it, like a year or two. Yeah. Give or take a year or two. Yeah. She's still really cold, even though that takes mm. place in a very hot country. Mm. She's got that Bowie thing where it's just slightly alien. She is very androgynous. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, you're not really sure what she's thinking, what she's feeling. It's just all in the eyes. There's so much depth. Yeah. In that character, in that portrayal. She is phenomenal. I don't think she's given a better performance than this. She's a phenomenal actress, but this is this is the one that I think everyone's going to remember her for. Mm. Yeah, because it's not an easy role. It's really unforgiving. Yeah. Um, she's not a hero. There no. are no heroes here. No, it's really... Um, it's vulnerable as well, which we don't often see her play. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I just, I love when... Um, when Kevin, when, es- when, Ezra Mi- when Ezra Miller comes into it and he's got the same haircut and he's also quite androgynous. He's got those really high cut t-shirts mm-hmm. and it's just and kind of... high cheekbones. High, he's gorgeous. He's <laughs> yeah. so gorgeous. But it's just kind of, they're cut from the same cloth and they're both as inscrutable as each other. It's strange that he's synonymous with this film, mm. but he doesn't actually speak on screen until the 45 minute mark then he disappears then he doesn't appear on screen really until the hour mark and then the film's over within 45 minutes Mm. he's not in it a lot but the presence of kevin the character is felt from within the first 10 minutes yeah and he's so good at really playing up that kind of you know the the artifice of his of his behavior you know like being all like okay dad yeah well that's i'll stuff. get that tree for you and that scene yeah and it's just kind of like oh and then when his dad is dead at the end you just think oh you stupid man <laughs> john c Riley, love him yeah i love him in, in 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 pretty much everything he's done he's very good at playing the schlub yeah he is he's good at playing a schlub that Clueless. is clueless you know he's mr seller yeah no my name he's in boogie nights and he's a you know he's a, a 
you know, a, a kid amongst adults. Yeah. But in this, again, he's playing another schlub who's got the, you know, the wall poured over his eyes. It is a supporting role. And because of that, I mean, he's great in this, but they don't give him a great deal to do on his own. Everything he does is a reaction to either what she's doing or what Kevin's doing. Yeah. So he's not, he's not a fully formed character. It's almost like we need the dad to come in now to do this so we can propel the scene on to do this because we want the mum and the son to have this interaction. Well, he's not really a fully formed character because she doesn't really have any interest in him, does she? She's just... She's, it's, it's such a weird marriage where you don't really feel like she loves him. Do you feel that? Yeah, like... Maybe I, at the start they did. Is it a case that... Yeah. At the start, she was interested in him. But I think, like, she gets pregnant and then she's like, oh, fuck. I'm like, I don't want to leave New York. Yeah. So maybe she blames him for the fact that her nomad lifestyle is gone. Yeah, yeah. He put his seed in me. He did. <laughs> this evil demon seed. Actually, just going back to Tilda Swinton, there is a brilliantly, like, sublimely, darkly funny moment where she is so sick of the screaming baby that yes. she stands in the middle of the street by a guy with a, like, a, a jackhammer. A jackhammer. Yeah. And she would rather listen to the sound of that look of bliss on her face. <laughs> to be honest, I'm with her on that oh, one. Oh, I know. I know. That we can all, anyone can um, kind of identify with that. But... It's but just, if your baby's screaming 24-7 oh and you're God. the one listening to it, you would you need a reprieve somehow. You would hate that kid so much. There is a wonderful motif throughout this film with blood and a Macbeth motif as well. She has blood on her hands. Yeah. So is that the filmmaker suggesting that the filmmaker believes that she is responsible for this? She has the blood of all those kids on her hands. Well, the character definitely feels she does. So. But does the filmmaker? I don't know. I think I really. This is one of those films where I really do think that the the filmmaker is stepping back in terms of judgment, and is actually just wanting to observe and see, and ask questions without necessarily providing answers. Which is a strange thing because it tends to be if a film is this stylistic, mm. the the filmmaker is not being objective. Because the the film is in, infused so much with the the artist's personality, the filmmaker's personality through their their visual style, mm. it could only be subjective. So I think you're right in the fact that Lynn Ramsey is being completely objective, yet still putting her own stamp on the film. It's quite yeah. a unique thing to do. Yeah, it definitely is. She's such a great filmmaker, and I feel really bad for her because she's she's somehow got this reputation. And she, was, she says this herself. She's got this reputation for being like a bitch and for being difficult. Um, but it's because she's this talented. She's this good. I think it's because, it's, I think because she's a woman. It's definitely because she's a woman. There's no question about that. You know, no one calls Quentin Tarantino a bitch and difficult. No. They call him a visionary. Yes. They call him the greatest filmmaker of his generation. He makes the films that he wants to make with the people that he wants to make for the budget that he wants to make it for. And mm -hmm. he's heralded as a king. And I'm not singling out QT. Poor old Tarantino. You know, Kubrick was the same. David yeah. Fincher's the same. Uh, Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Can you imagine if someone was as cold and aloof as Christopher Nolan, but they were a woman? <laughs> Christ. But Lynn Ramsey, she, she made this film and it's almost like this sigh of relief because she spent eight years 
trying to make the lovely bones mm-hmm. which she optioned or she um the one got, that peter jackson had done yeah yeah so when it was a manuscript before it had even been published she's she read it an early manuscript loved it wanted to make it wrote a script wrote by all accounts a fantastic script and then suddenly the book became a bigger deal than everybody thought it was going to be and she was pushed out and they brought in superstar director peter jackson who made a film that she doesn't like and i don't like um but then she got to make this and it really is this kind of like oh thank fuck like i've made a film and it's good and it's exactly what i want to do but then straight after this she tried to make jane got a gun which was the natalie portman uh kind of west like feminist it's about it's about a woman in the west and um she and lynn ramsey just didn't turn up on the first day of filming why because she had been kind of very gradually systematically undermined by the studio by the producers who kept trying to force her to make a happier more uplifting film and she didn't want to do that that wasn't the story so on the first day of filming she was like this is not what i signed up for you can go fuck yourselves (laughs) so who made the film in the end um they got in gavin hood who he directed the first wolverine film and he did uh i want to say tootsie but it's some it's Totsie, some kind of film, some kind of like low-key indie drama. Drama, um, and then she what? She went off and made you were never really here. Yes, because there's a long period. That's like six years of not. Yeah, working. she should have made four films in the period that she made two, basically. What did she make before? Before uh, that, before, she before did, Kevin. She did Morven Caller, which was a drama, and then before that was her debut, which was Ratcatcher. So she said made four films. Yeah, and it's such a tragedy because she's such a visionary. She's so amazing. And she's, yes, she's an opinionated Glaswegian. And she says, you know, as soon as I walk into a room, basically, when an American hears a Glaswegian accent, they think I'm going to stab them. Um, (laughs) She's. I'd rather have a ballsy fucking filmmaker making a point or giving us an amazing piece of art than someone who makes wolverine she needs to go and form a studio with Catherine bigelow and yeah. just kind of say fuck you hollywood you know we're gonna make our own movies well with 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 netflix and amazon in fact i think amazon would be a better place for her mm-hmm. i think netflix movies the Too netflix mainstream. original movies are really really troubling they they no. seem to be you know the tv stuff they do is wonderful but the the, the films seem to be a case of we can't get it placed anywhere else. This is a straight-to-DVD movie. Let's put out as a Netflix original and try and make some sort of yeah. thing about they mop it. Up. They mop up all of the films from Sundance and different different film festivals that don't get deals. Yeah. Netflix mop them up and on the slide kind of release them as a Netflix original. So she needs to go to Amazon. Yeah. You know, they did, um, was it Manchester by the Sea? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they bought that at Sundance. So yeah. clearly they care. Yeah, she needs, she needs a break. She needs somebody to fucking give her a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a quote that Kevin says, all people are doing is watching TV, watching people like me. Do you think they would have changed the channel if all I got was an A in geometry? Is that Lynn Ramsey stepping forward and saying, <laughs> you, the audience, you want this to go badly. You're going to turn off if, Kevin suddenly becomes Kevin McAllister. Do you think as audience members, we want to see shit go bad? Is it really boring if shit's really rosy? Well, yeah, because movies are a safe space where you 
you can watch the the shit go bad and then you get to see what happens without actually having any kind of role in it or any kind of guilt or any kind of you know anything any of that um yeah i don't know if it's a filmmaker saying that i think it's definitely within char- uh, kevin's character to say stuff like that and it's hilarious that she's watching him on tv the character's watching him on tv as he says that yeah um so it's almost like this weird subtextual <laughs> meta thing going on were you rooting for kevin um as a kid yes as a teenager no i think i don't know because i i will always root for somebody who has psychological issues like this film reminded me of monster a bit where um eileen eileen warrenus did all those horrific things and that film invited you not to condone her actions but to understand them yeah and understand her as a woman and I think this film doesn't really do that in quite the same way. But you do you kind of, it does make you think, do I, would Kevin have been different with a different mother? And yeah, should you root for him? Obviously you don't root for him when he commits mass murder. But before that, there's kind of hope. And then afterwards, there isn't really. Although there's some saying, don't they say something like, oh, he'll be released in a few years or something? I don't remember that. I swear there was a moment after he went, after, just, you know, just before he was going to the adult prison, there was something about you'll get out in a few years. And I was oh, like, yes, she did say you? that, yes. What the fuck are you talking about? He killed 15 people or something. But he did it as a minor. He wasn't yeah. even 16. Yeah. Which is, that so, makes it fine. It, it's just like a little tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> this was the first thing I saw Ezra Miller in. And I don't think I saw him in anything until I saw him in Justice League. Oh, God. So he's he's been very much under the radar. What's he done? I know he did that, uh, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Yeah, which he's really good in. He's, re- he's like the best thing in that film. He's like but what the, else has he done? Um, Suicide Squad? Oh, that's because he was like... Um, like Flash a cameo. Thing. Yeah. Um, Fantastic Beasts. I'm not a Harry Potter fan. No, he's really... He's good in it, but the film is shit. Um, oh, he was in Trainwreck, the uh, Amy Schumer one with Tilda Swinton. It's like a tiny little cameo bit. Okay. Just randomly they're in it together. But do you um, think he's not yet found his... No, because he's he's too unclassifiable. He's kind of that... He's really arty. He's really arty. He's kind of like... You know how Timothée Ch- Chamelet has become this big kind of weird skinny heartthrob thing yeah. after calling by your name? Ezra Miller is kind of like the the weirder version of that. Like there's something about Timothée Chamelet. Timothée Chamelet. Timothée Chamelet. He just sounds like a fucking shampoo. <laughs> um, something about him that's endearing and people like him and, you know, feel warm towards him. But Ezra Miller has this slightly arty kind of bubble around him. That, But maybe it is because of this film as well. That he played such a... Con- he was so convincing as like this really conniving, oily, sleazy kind of guy like that bit where he's like wanking off and his mum comes in and he yeah. just looks at her like that stuff does not go out of your head quickly <laughs> maybe it's to do with the fact that timothy chalamet has just hit it big now with social media being full in the swing mm. that we're actually seeing him not elio yeah this one came out in 2011 and ezra miller could have had a twitter presence 
but social media, I feel, kind of operated way differently then than, than it does now. Mm. I think that Ezra Miller is just kind of... Is there a coldness there? Yeah, maybe. Is he a cold person in, in I don't interviews? Know. I don't know. I've not seen him interviewed. Maybe he's the, just more... I think he's just more of a rock star. Yeah, maybe he's just more... I know he's in a, 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 a me, an art metal band. Yeah. But maybe he's just more removed. But he is a fantastic actor. And if he yeah. keeps doing roles like this, yeah. he's going to have a actor's career as opposed to a film star's career. He could mm. be like the arty Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I could see that. He's in the Dali movie coming up, isn't he? With Oh, yeah. Um, who's directing it? We talked about it the other day, didn't we? We, we talked about... We spoke, it's Mary Harron. Oh, of we spoke about it, it in the oh, American Psycho episode. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe that's going to be his big break. Maybe. I mean, he's got the Flash film, but is that ever going to get made? I hope not. For real? Because he's really annoying in Justice League. Oh, is Like, he? very, very annoying. Oh, no. He's meant to be annoying. Oh, right. But it's not endearing. It's just very fucking annoying. <laughs> it's so annoying that... You want to shoot him with a bow and arrow. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so that was We Need to Talk About Kevin, directed by Lynn Ramsey. Do you want to talk about Kevin? Because we do. Come talk to us on Twitter at TornStobsPod and maybe subscribe to us on the Apple iPod. <laughs> do you mean the Apple podcast app? That's the one, thanks. <laughs> so you never miss a damn episode. If you like film, culture, television, music and theatre, head to movetotrash.co.uk. We're off to play with a big red ball. Big red ball? She pushes a red ball back and forth, doesn't oh, she? Oh, yeah. Did you watch? Oh, yeah, I did watch the film. Of course I watched the film. I'm off to throw Joshua at a nappy changing table. Until next time. <laughs> I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Help me. Cut. <laughs>